Welcome to Saga Thing, where we're putting the sagas of the Icelanders on trial. I'm John. And I'm Andy. Saga Thing is a podcast in which we read a saga, talk about its story and themes, and then do it again, and again, and again. And again. Now, this is the third and final part of Floamana Saga. Oh, great googly moogly. Great hoppin' horny toads. Great land of Goshen. I never thought this day would come. Well, I mean, it's not quite here yet. We still have to record this episode. We're at the very beginning. Don't rain on my parade. This is a great moment. There aren't a lot of sagas that defy storytelling and the fundamentals of narrative causation the way Flohamana does. (laughs) And it has been a trip trying to make sense of the story. Now, you're not going to get any argument from me. I have had to read and reread some of these chapters just to make sense of what's happening. Uh, By the way, for those listeners wondering where to get an English translation of Flohamana saga... I'd recommend finding something else to do with your time. (laughs) (laughs) The boat, John. I mean, one minute it's gone. The next minute Uh, is there. Where did it come from, John? I need to know. I I know. Uh, Things just appear and disappear without reason in this saga. And it's not limited to people, animals, trolls, and boats. Storylines come and go so quickly that you've got to keep your head on a swivel. I mean, honestly, this saga almost broke me. Right. (laughs) I don't know if I can go on. If you've just found this podcast, hi, thanks for stopping by, orally speaking. Uh, We appreciate your time, but your timing sucks. Oh, hey now, that's not nice. Well, I mean, does the title not say part three on it? Who clicks on a part three for their first listen? (laughs) Well, I'll just uh, roll up the old welcome mat we had out and put it back in storage, shall I? Oh, don't be silly. New listeners are always welcome here at Saga Thing. I'm just working my way around to saying that this isn't the episode to start on. You might want to back up a bit and go listen to the previous episodes on Flowmana. Yeah, but I'd actually recommend skipping the first part. I mean, oh. Nothing of interest really happens there. Although there is a lot of misdirection. <laughs> if you're and in- yet we managed to spend an hour and a half doing it. I don't know. Uh, and we were sick at the same time. So, uh, But part two, I think, is where things get interesting. But just in case you can't do that, or mm-hmm. in the far more reasonable and likely scenario that you listened to the last couple of episodes when they came out, and haven't had a chance to review your, no doubt, copious notes, here's what happened last time on Floamana Saga. Last time on Flomana Saga. Thorgil's scarleg stepson and his chub, the persistently not dead Norwegian companion Thorstein the White, kick around in the Irish seas for a couple of years, first collecting tribute for Earl Hauken of Norway, and then putting the squeeze on their fellow Vikings. During this time, Thorgil's gains a wife, a son, and a shiny new sword. He's mostly excited about the sword. He really is. The wife is more of a second thought. Really? <laughs> and the son? Meh. Meh. Thorgils wins his ancestral lands in Norway as a gift from Earl Hawken, and then hi-hats his wife and kid, leaving them to Thorsten, the trustworthy Norwegian companion to raise. Thorgils returns to Iceland to take over the family farm, there with his half-brother Harry, a fishy fellow if ever there was one. <laughs> he meets a local beauty named Thori, and they have a daughter named Thorny. Now during this time, folk in Iceland are getting rid of their old-timey religion and becoming Christians. Thorgils is Johnny on the spot when it comes to conversion, but his eager beaver embrace of the cross draws the fury of Thor, the god of thunder himself. Thor appears in Thorgils' dreams and threatens to give him a thrashing, but Thorgils tells Thor to can the balloon juice and doubles down on his new best pal, Christ. Twenty years pass until Thorgils' grown son Thorleif arrives in Iceland. Father and son give the boring life of an Iceland farmer the old missing bulk. 
convincing some 35 people to relocate to Greenland, including Thorny's entire foster family. Thorgil's young daughter, Thorny, is left behind to recover from an illness. But it turns out she's the lucky one, since Thorgil's ship breaks up off the Greenland coast, depositing a shipload of Icelanders on an isolated and frozen beach. The group is trapped for years. As they succumb to the elements in lack of food, a series of hair-raising hauntings decimate their number, killing half the castaways and driving the survivors nearly mad with fear. Amazingly, that's not the bad news. Most of the <laughs> remaining men abandon the refuge on the beach. They steal the only boat, fatally stab Thorgil's beloved wife Thori, and strand Thorgil's and a few friends. But they leave Thori's toddler son Thorfinn alive. To save his son's life, Thorgil's MacGyvers his own body, slashing at his nipples until milk flows to feed the wee lad. So, I mean, that's that's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot. For, for, for a saga that doesn't actually have much of a sense of narrative cohesion, there's a lot of incident. And that was probably only 10 pages worth of saga. <laughs> this is crazy. It's amazing. Uh, and there, there's there's quite a lot to come in this section as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, each chapter is like a saga in itself. Which means our friends will need some help making sense of what's to come. I need some help <laughs> making sense of what's to come. Well, that's what the preview is for. Fire it up. Fire, fire what up? The thing, the episode preview thing, whatever that is. Fire that up. Press the button. Do your magic. The magic button. In this episode, we rejoin Thorgil's Scarlake stepson on the icy shores of Greenland. Of the 35 men and women who traveled with him, the only companions he has left are his son Thorleif, and a pair of helpful brothers, Cole and Starkov. And then there's the child, Thorfinn, nourished by his father's love and bloody breast milk. Together these castaways must battle the elements on land and sea to make their way home again. Along the way they'll encounter troll women, a polar bear, terrible vikings, and more than one opportunity to duel with a villain. There's even a guest appearance by everyone's favorite grumpy pagan, Eric the Red. Nearly a decade after being shipwrecked in Greenland, Thorgils finally returns to Iceland. There he's greeted by his daughter Thorny, now grown into a beautiful young woman. In his absence, Thorny was married to Bjarni of Groth, an arrangement that Thorgils finds less than ideal. And when he attempts to take the lovely Helga as his own bride, Thorgils ends up feuding with a rival suitor, Asgrim Alida Grimson, a familiar name from Njalsaga. This conflict threatens to disrupt the relative peace of the region and prompts one of John's Thingmen into action. Will young Thorfinn survive the journey from Greenland? Does Thorstein, the red-shirted Norwegian companion, ever die? Will Thorgils manage to rearrange his daughter's marriage to his own liking? Does Helga choose Thorgils or Asgrim? Or is her opinion not worth a hill of beans? And which Thingman emerges from John's Mead Hall to settle the dispute over her hand? Find out in the sometimes thrilling but poorly told conclusion to Floamana Saga! So, still a fair amount of incident to come then. Yeah, I'm afraid so. I mean, it's a saga within a saga within a saga. Only much less good. Right, it's the turducken of literature. 
Uh, all right. In the interest of getting poor Thorgils and the rest of his friends out of Greenland as quickly as possible, let's go right to the action. The action of year four on an ice-locked beach. Yeah, something like that. Action. Part 10. Escape from Greenland. All right, strap in, people. This is probably <laughs> the craziest saga chapter I've ever read in my entire life. <laughs> that's got some. Uh, that's got some competition. It does, but it, it, not not crazy in terms of like uh, wacky things happening. Crazy in, in terms of what I had to go through to make sense of it all. Right. Right. So we left our group of survivors on the Greenland coast. Thorgil Scarleg Stepson, his grown son Thorleaf, his toddler Thorfinn. And two brothers named Cole and Starkath Jostensen. Mm -hmm. That's all that remains of the 35 people who were trapped on the beach three years earlier. Right. Now, most of the rest died, except for a band of men who disappeared after stealing the only boat and stabbing Thorgil's wife, Thori, to death. So, right now, Thorgil's and company have two priorities. Mm -hmm. Figure out a way out of this ice-choked inlet and find the men who abandoned them there for a little revenge. It's a nice, tidy to-do list. Mm -hmm. So step one is escape. The four men begin the process of building the skeleton of a small boat from thin bits of wood and stretching animal hides to form the hull of the boat. Now, that's a slow process. And in the mm -hmm. meantime, there's the problem of food. Well, presumably those animal hides were surrounding animals. You would hope so <laughs> at some point. <laughs> Thorgils is still nursing the boy Thorfinn, but the others mm -hmm. need something to eat. And so Thorgils takes over fishing while the others work on the boat. And one day while he's out on the ice, he sees two troll women hauling in a whale that's trapped in the ice flows. Oh, there's good eating on a whale. These guys have been trapped for years, and I'm sure they'd be willing to eat the troll women at this point. That's fair, yes. But uh, they'd probably rather have the whale. Uh, so Thorgils charges at them with his sword, Earthhouse Gift. He takes them by surprise and cuts a hand off one of the troll women. They flee, and Thorgils claims the whale. Mm, I tell you, whale is the fruit of the sea. You can <laughs> barbecue it, boil it, broil it, bake it, saute it. Uh -huh. There's um, whale kebabs, whale uh -huh. creole, whale gumbo, uh -huh. fermented whale, pickled whale. No, 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 please continue. I could <laughs> listen to your Bubba Blue impression for hours. Okay, uh, whale stew, whale soup. There's whey salad, uh -huh. whale burgers, whale sandwich. Go on. No, no, kind of, <laughs> I want to see how far you're going to push this. <laughs> I'm losing steam. No, far more important to me anyway is the fact that this whole scene is one paragraph long. Only a few sentences really. And the author doesn't even mention the second troll woman running off. The mm -hmm. Thorgils cuts the hand off of the one and she flees. And that's all we're told before they start prepping the whale gumbo. Well, the author assumes you'll connect the dots here, maybe. When one trollman flees with one less hand than she started with, her companion probably flees as well. Sure, but it's just sloppy writing. It's just a, a matter of plurals and singulars. I mean, mm -hmm. put it together. But uh, are, we're just going to also ignore the fact that there are suddenly troll women on the shore now? We don't, we don't have to ignore it. I don't know how much there is to say. Although, uh, Richard Perkins does point out that this next section involves... Quote, a great deal of invention. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, and these trolls are part of that imaginative characterization. 
Yeah, there are also a couple of mysterious women out on the ice later in a scene that, that mm-hmm. I think is a clear echo of this one, and I assume that they're troll women too, maybe. Um, except mm-hmm. that there's a bear trapped in the ice instead of a whale. And both times, the, the women run off and Thorgils keeps the animals. Right. Uh, and there have been occasional suggestions that these pairs of women might be meant to represent an indigenous Greenland population. Yeah, and I really like that idea, but only in a different saga from a different author. Here, <laughs> more likely than not, they're just trolls, uh-huh. um, and especially this first pair, since they're explicitly called trolls. Sure, yeah. yeah. No, we've, we talked a couple of times about the nature of trolls in the sagas. Especially in moments like this, the troll is really more of a representation of, of the human experience in Extremis. Right? What matters is not so much the troll as the idea of here be trolls. Right? The landscape here is a place of monsters. Yeah, and the point of the encounter for us is that there's now plenty of food, at least for a while. So mm-hmm. Thorgils can finally slap some whale blubber on those sore nipples and give them a rest. <laughs> that's, a, that's a phrase I never thought I'd hear. What's that? <laughs> slap some whale blubber on those nipples. Well, John, you're not Scandinavian. I, I, whale blubber does wonders what? for sore nipples, I hear. <laughs> and meanwhile, <laughs> the boat is now finished. So the five survivors wait for a gap in the ice flow and set out to sea. Just like that? Mm-hmm. After years trapped in this bay, they just make a boat and leave? Mm-hmm. What did they make it out of exactly? Ultralight whale bones wrapped in cured whale skin? No, no, they've got little strips of wood and hides. Uh-huh. Right? Now, we, we shouldn't really be surprised by any of this. We've said before that our author's strong suit is not in creating or sustaining narrative tension. Uh, besides, by the way, they sail out, but they don't get all that far. They only get as far as Celerar which apparently is still somewhere in Greenland, but isn't a name known from any other source. Uh, Wherever this is, the weather's bad there too, and they have to take to shore once more and wait out yet another winter. And of course, now they've left their shelter behind, so they're all living in a single tent and huddling for warmth. And things continue on like this for a while, and Mm -hmm. it's quite grim. At one point, they go two weeks without finding any food, and when they do, it's a single bird's egg, which they give to Thorgil's little boy, Thorfinn. Right, he's on solid food now, which is it's got to be a relief to Thorgils. Yeah, uh, but that's about the only good news. So wait, wait a second. I don't want to let this pass by without comment. Why? Why not? What's that? Well, the little baby Thorfinn, the one that mm-hmm. Thorgils has been breastfeeding, he talks now. And <laughs> when when they ask him why he didn't eat the whole egg, he very cogently responds, "I spare my food because you spare yours." Is that? That's. <laughs> That's your two-year-old voice? <laughs> um, okay. I, I don't really know what to say to that. I mean, he's, he sounds like a wise lad. He is. But how old is this kid, John? The narrative, I know, plays very loose with time, but I really can't imagine him being more than two or three years at this point in the story. And yet that voice. If Yes. Well, he's very cogent and wise. Mm-hmm. If the, the next part of the chapter is any indicator... He might even be younger than that. So how the hell is he not only speaking complete sentences, but coming to very rational decisions based on careful observation? I mean, okay, there are at least two options. One is that we've got a savant here. Uh, Thorfinn might just be the kind of genius this saga needs to get back on its feet again. Uh, Two, and actually there's three things I can think of. Uh, Two would be that this is typically right around the age of three is when we see exceptional figures in the sagas start to demonstrate Mm -hmm. their exceptional nature. Ale Scholar Grimson is composing poetry at three. Uh, 
Evar, uh, we have a number boneless. What, so, Evar the boneless. We'll talk about uh, very Evar soon. the boneless. Um, Gretter and Gisley both uh, demonstrate that they are impressive at a young age. Hmm. Uh, it's it's just it's something that happens, right? I guess that, that this is three is the age when you show that you're an exceptional person. Icelandic three year olds um, must be far more exceptional than normal three year olds. Well, you know they're all above average. That's the remarkable <laughs> thing. Uh, and then third is the possibility that, and I think I'm going to forward this one as my my go to. We have an author who has trouble keeping track of his own story. <laughs> oh, yeah. well, I'm going to go with option number three. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for clearing that up for me. <laughs> we can move on now. Yeah. Uh, so after another failed attempt to escape, they put up for the night by some cliffs. So they're still sort of bouncing along the coastline in their little ship. Uh, and the next morning, when Cole Yostensen leaves the tent, he notices that their makeshift boat is gone. Ah, the missing boat. Mm-hmm. An important plot point. My friends. Yes. (laughs) And so that we understand the severity of this situation, Cole crawls back into the tent and doesn't mention a thing about the boat, I guess to spare Thorgils this painful news. Thorleaf goes out and sees the boat is missing, but he doesn't say anything either. But they can't keep the secret long because eventually Thorgils leaves the tent and sees for himself. The boat, their only means of escape from this harsh environment, is gone. It's the last straw for Thorgils, and he decides that there's no hope left. And so he pulls his older son, Thorleaf, aside for a serious chat. I see no other choice, says Thorgils, than to kill the boy. Um, I'm right here, Papa. Uh, that's not what happens. <laughs> no, but I mean, I wonder where little Thorfinn is during this conversation. Even if he's in the tent, how thick can the walls be? Right. He's got to hear what's going on, right? Well, unfortunately, there's no indication of where Thorfinn might be. But for this scenario to work, he still has to be quite young. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is a disturbing turn of events. Thorleaf just says, uh, see no need for that, father. But Thorgils insists. He clearly thinks they're as good as dead now that the boat is gone. And they should spare the kid the suffering of starving to death. But they've got all that whale meat. No, uh, that's long since eaten, except for what they had to leave behind in the bay. All these gluttons. Right. They've moved on. Uh, no, it's time to kill the boy. But the the kebabs, the creole, the soup. Nope. Nope. All gone? Yep, make with the killing. Oh, Thorfinn, we hardly knew ye. Such a promising youth born into unfortunate circumstances. Yeah, and the author made a big deal about Thorgil's breastfeeding this kid and taking care of him, too. Yeah, well, not really. I mean, it was only a sentence or two <laughs> in typical mm-hmm. Flo Monosaga fashion. He just sliced his breast open and squeezed some milk out. <laughs> but uh, this is clearly another of the many motifs our author has decided to play up. The sacrifice child episode. And as right. usual, uh, as usually happens in these stories, the intermediaries refuse to play along. In this case, Cole Jostensen refuses to kill the child and he won't let anyone else do it. Because I know that as soon as he is dead, Thorgils will feel great sorrow. Which is true. Right? And, we, and we've seen this a number of times before. Usually in connection with an exposed child who's then saved by a clever servant or family member. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thorkel Scratcher was one of Scratcher. those. Yes, yes. And, and so is Helga the Fair. That's right. Welcome to the club, Thorfinn. And yes. if the motif holds, you'll grow up to be a great man someday. And why shouldn't you? If the you? motif holds. The author of this saga has put a lot of effort into your youth. Uh, meanwhile, if we're keeping track, uh, that's three kids out of three that Thorgils has either abandoned or tried to kill. Well, he's not a perfect father. <laughs> 
Uh, well, I mean, well, if we're trying to exculpate him, uh, at least this time he's trying to spare the child's suffering. Right? It's not just him abandoning the kid. Yeah. But when Cole refuses to do it, Thorgils thanks him and takes the boy back into his arms. So that's nice. Mm-hmm. I mean, he seems to genuinely love this child. Yeah, enough to slice his tits open and squeeze out some blood milk. I mean, that's more than I've ever done for my kids. And I like them all right. I'm sure they're thankful that you never tried to breastfeed them. Well, probably. I mean, but I I should have offered just the same. I, I, I just didn't think of it. Mm-hmm. So now there's a winter that they have to get through. And the men pass the time trying to interpret one another's dreams. And uh, John, since uh, I know that dream interpretation is your favorite part of the sagas, maybe you could... It isn't. Well, maybe you could briefly explain this part. I could do it very briefly by ignoring it completely, but okay. Uh, The upshot is that in a series of dreams, Thorgil sees visions uh, which the others interpret as meaning that they'll soon find their way back to Iceland, that Thorgils will marry a third time, and that he will have a total of five children... And an illustrious descendant. So that means that Thorgil still has two children to go, since he's already fathered Thorleif and Thorfinn, as well as his daughter Thorny, who he abandoned in Iceland, remember? Sort of. There's a complexity about this, and we'll get to that later on. Yeah. And the uh, illustrious descendant that they mentioned is Saint Thorlacher, uh, the mm-hmm. patron saint of Iceland, who's something like the five times great-grandson of Thorgil's. Yeah, Thorlach's actually a pretty recent saint in the uh, in the church, by the way. He was confirmed as a saint in 1984 by Pope John Paul II. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's been considered a saint by tradition in Iceland, more or less, since his death. He's actually got his own saga, Thorlach Saga Helga, which is obviously one of the bishop sagas. Yes, and so uh, so is that it for the dreams? Yep. Uh, no, no, wait. Uh, Thorleif also has a dream. He dreams that his sister, Thorny, comes to him and gives him a piece of cheese... With the rind cut off. Oh, how lovely. So, there you go. Now, this apparently indicates not that he's hungry, but rather that the worst of the ordeal is over, and that he will not live in Iceland somehow, uh, but will return to Norway and live there, because that's the obvious meaning of a dream about rindless cheese. (laughs) Well, yeah, I dreamed about blueberries the other night, but that just (laughs) meant I was looking forward to a nice cobbler. Oh, God, I'm so sorry, Andy. Wait, what? Why? Oh, not blueberries. Oh, yeah. you're a poor family. Well, uh, so just after the dream sequence, there's a great shouting, as the saga tells us. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the call went out for the Icelanders to take to their ship. I don't know who's calling. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because they're all in the tent. Right, exactly. Uh, but Thorgils and company now set out to sea once more. And yes, I know. Yeah, so they just uh, hop on that ship and sail away, do they? Yep. The boat that just a minute ago, barely 500 words in the chapter, was missing? Uh-huh. The missing boat that prompted a despairing Thorgils to order the death of his <laughs> beloved Thorfinn, who he suckled at his own teat? Yeah. Yeah. Look, I think we've established that this author isn't always on the job when it comes to these minor details. <laughs> no. Uh, for our purposes, we'll assume that the boat floated back to the shore at some point after after floating away. But Don't try to make uh, yeah, sense of it, John. It's a little ridiculous. Um, anyway, they've got a boat again somehow. Wait a minute. Maybe they, this is all very meta. This is like a super modernist kind uh-huh. of saga. And he's making a commentary on the... Yeah, he's not. No? <laughs> he's not. <laughs> so they not. row their little boat uh, for some time, finally growing tired and thirsty. And they can't find any sources of fresh water. 
<laughs> this part, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, I just want to remind everyone, this chapter is only three pages. There's yeah. so much going on that it's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, but as John said, the men need a source of water. And of course, they're surrounded by water. But in case anyone listening wasn't sure, it's not a good idea to drink salt water. Well, well you say that. No, no, it's really not a good idea. The salinity of the water dehydrates you further so that you end up mm -hmm. urinating more than you can take in as your body tries to flush those salts out. So if you keep doing it, you eventually die of dehydration. Look, ordinarily this is true. But the very clever Starkoth Yostensen has an idea. See, if you were to dilute the seawater with some other liquid, you could reduce the salt level to the point that it probably wouldn't kill you. I mean, okay. I... In theory, that might be sound as a way of stretching the water reserves. But, I mean, if you had another source of liquid, why wouldn't you just drink that? Uh, because it's urine. <laughs> uh, the, <laughs> the other liquid is urine. Uh, oh. Starkov's plan is for everyone to pee in a container and then fill it the rest of the way with seawater. Well, that's unpleasant. Yeah, and probably not effective, uh, especially if they're already dehydrated. Uh it seems to me you'd get a compounding effect if you kept it up because the salts your body is able to flush out would partly be expelled in your urine. And just drink the so urine. You'd just be creating, well, so you'd just be creating a salt concentrate. Oh, that sounds like the world's worst Gatorade. <laughs> as far as I know, this basically is what Gatorade is. It's, it's got electrolytes. It's oh, what yeah. plants crave. <laughs> Actually, if if they've got to pee so much, maybe they could set up a solar still and recover the water from their own urine. If uh -huh. only they had some clear plastic sheets. Yeah, if they could set up a solar still with plastic sheets. Where are they going to get that? Uh, and if they had a solar still, why not just use seawater? <laughs> why are we drinking recycled pee? Because it's got electrolytes. You, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. I, you put it on plants, John. Uh, well, either way, it's not going to happen. Uh, they actually do fill a bailing cup with eau de la mer at l'homme. Uh, <laughs> <but laughs> well, I have to class it up a little bit. That's, uh, that's uh, for our French-speaking listeners. That's right. Uh, but just as Starkov is about to ladle himself up a big drink, Thorgils grabs the strange brew... And says a prayer over the cup. Oh, most evil of beasts, you who delays our journey, you shall not prevail and make me or anyone else drink this urine. <laughs> the last part's hilarious. <laughs> so the urine is the sticking point for him. Uh, yeah. That's quite reasonable, mm -hmm. I think. Yep. Well, now, and at this point, a bird flies away from the ship. What, a bird? What bird? That hadn't been there a moment before. It had never been mentioned. There you go. Spooky stuff or bad writing. <laughs> you be the judge. Yeah, this is clearly meant to be an evil spirit of some sort, and with it now banished by Thorgil's prayer, the men row their boat until nightfall when they find fresh water near their camp. So everything worked out fine. And I'll also point out that they're on the coast of Greenland. Mm -hmm. A lot of ice around there, right? Sure. Snow. Yeah. Maybe melt it. Yeah, a lot of effort. Drink, drink that. Uh, why, nope, are you, why are you drinking nope. pee? Better to drink the peed in salt water. <laughs> now, presumably, uh, when they find the fresh water, they're all greatly relieved and not having to relieve, relieve themselves to drink water. But we'll <laughs> we'll let that go. Yeah, yeah. The trip continues for three more days. At the end of which, they see a tent on the shore. 
Mm-hmm. And this is the first sign of life that they've seen, and they're all very excited because maybe they can eat this person. <laughs> but then they realize that it's actually a tent missing from their own site. And when they come ashore, they find Thorarin, Thorgil's former foreman, and he's camping all alone. Right. Now, this is the Thorarin from our last episode. Uh, Thorarin was helping run the castaways camp with Thorgil's until he and the servants disappeared on the same afternoon that Thorgil's wife Thori was killed. This is a man Thorgil's has been hoping to find. <laughs> and he stood there and he said, It wasn't me. It was the one-armed man. No, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> You're supposed to say, I don't care. I know, but it wasn't. <laughs> oh, well, he got me. No, it was uh, Snackle and the others. They threatened to kill me <laughs> if I didn't go along with them. Snackle killed Thori. He stabbed her with a piece of, of sharp iron. I don't know what you deserve, but your story sounds unlikely to me, and you shall not live long. And he kills Thorarin on the spot. Uh, see, it had been a little while since we had some uh, bloodshed sure. and body count. Mm-hmm. But we're about to ramp that up quite a bit. <laughs> so Snackle was the most experienced hand among the servants. So mm-hmm. Thorgils has avenged his wife, but most of the men who conspired to kill her are still alive somewhere. Right. Now, we really need to move things along a little here. So we can just say that after a few more days rowing, the men come to an isolated farm, and they spend the next winter with a man named Hrolf. Another winter lost. Mm-hmm. But hey, at least they found a sign of civilization. This is good. They're moving in the right uh, direction. Sort of. Uh, Hrolf's more than a little isolated himself. Uh, there's a settlement nearby, but Hrolf's had trouble with the settlers, and he's pretty much on his own on his yeah. farm. He just he, he runs out and greets them with a ladle full of his own pee. Rare! <laughs> <laughs> You're just in time for a drink! <laughs> but uh, all of this works... <laughs> But all this works out for everyone. In exchange for Hrolf's hospitality, um, Thorgils agrees to try to broker a peace for him with the nearby settlers. Although we're never actually told why they're upset with Hrolf at all. He keeps eating the yellow snow. <laughs> uh, no, that story is a, a bit of an afterthought. I don't think the author really cares much. About Although it is on their mind when they leave in the spring. Uh, but when they row out from the farm... They almost immediately catch sight of a merchant ship sailing around a fjord ahead. The other men are worried, but Thorgil says, That'll be good news coming. Sure, I mean, what could go wrong? This trip's <laughs> been nothing but good luck so far. <laughs> well, does it help if I tell you that the man in the prow of the ship is wearing a bright red shirt? No way. <laughs> Thorstein? <laughs> It's Thorstein, it's Thorstein, Thorstein the Norwegian Companion. He's still not dead in his shirt so red. Thorstein the Norwegian Companion. <laughs> you know what? I got to give you credit for preparing for this episode. <laughs> well done. Uh, yes, Thorstein is still alive. <laughs> and he's been looking for his foster son Thorleif, and Thorgils for that matter, ever since they disappeared. Um, if any of our listeners are good at arranging music, I expect to hear... <laughs> That song in completion with a, a background oh, music uh, by the new year. Mm-hmm. Now, now, presumably wearing this uh, red shirt the entire time as a good luck talisman, uh, he's never taken it off. Well, you'd want to be dressed for the occasion. Mm-hmm. There's a, so there's a joyous reunion made even happier by the news that Thorgil's daughter Thorny is alive and well in Iceland. So that's the end of the Greenland adventure. 
happy endings all around, except uh, obviously for the many, many dead people. Well... Part 11. Why are we still in Greenland? That's a very good question, John. That's, I know, right? So once Thorsten, Thorgils, and Thorleif have finished their reunion, there's still the matter of getting out of Greenland. Yeah, but oddly, for a group of men who've been trapped in Greenland for the best part of a decade, they don't seem all that eager to move on. Uh, Thorsten and his crew are staying with a local farmer named Thorir, mm-hmm. but there isn't room for the castaways. So they get an invite from none other than Eric the Red. Oh, I've heard of founder him. Founder of the settlement, yes, uh, to stay with him for the winter. Now, we established in the last episode that Eric and Thorgils don't like each other very much. So we have to assume yes. that Eric has an ulterior motive for this invitation. Yeah, well, I mean, there is there is a group of outlaws in the area led by a man called Thorsten. Yeah. And it's possible that Eric is looking for a bit of extra muscle to help take them down. Um, does this Thorsten wear a red shirt by any chance? <laughs> no, he does not. Nah. Uh, that's actually an important distinction to make. No, this Thorsten is a different guy. Uh, we can call him Thorsten the Outlaw to make things easier. We call him Thorsten the Viking. Or that? I'm all for easier at this point, but uh, it does take a while for Thorgils to find out why he's been asked to stay here. And in the meantime, there are a few minor incidents in the fall and early winter. Minor? There's a bear attack, there's a killing, there's a legal settlement? Yes, but they're treated by the author as minor events. Ancillary events, if you like that better. Okay, that is better. Uh, But I still don't want to ignore them completely. Let's cover the bear attack at least. Sure, yeah. It is the picture that we have accompanying this episode, so it's worth drawing attention to. But that is true. All right, so this happens in early winter. There's a bear attacking the settlement's livestock, but no one's been able to catch it. And the bear is getting bolder, attacking during daylight and within sight of the people. One day, as Thorgils is talking with some other men... His son Thorfinn looks out at the yard nearby. Yeah, and we should say uh, we should say that enough years have passed that Thorfinn is a young lad now, probably four or so. And so Thorfinn says, "Father, there's a big, beautiful doggy outside." Never mind about it. Don't go running outside. But Thorfinn runs outside yes, to play with the doggy. Typical four-year-old, uh, right? Which, yeah, I mean, I hope it's obvious. This is the bear. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Thorfinn's not the crispiest flake in the cereal bowl, is he, despite his uh, early ability to <laughs> well, talk? As you said, he's uh, he's maybe four or five. We have to give him a little bit of leeway. And he spent his entire life on an isolated beach in the company of four men. And we have to say that those men have not lavished attention on his education. Uh, and he's been breastfeeding from a man. So his sense of the world and how it works is uh, a little skewed. <laughs> so... Yeah, but there there really ought to have been time in uh, on the shores of Greenland to explain that bears are dangerous. I would <laughs> I would think. Yeah, we, we right. know they saw a bear. Hell, they even ate a bear earlier. Well, that only proves they're delicious, not dangerous. <laughs> uh, the thing is, he's a nice boy and he wants to play with a doggy. Yeah. Uh, of course, the bear can't believe it's luck. It, <laughs> yes. it knocks Thorfinn down and starts whacking him around with his paws. <laughs> I was so surprised by that. Father, the doggy's mean. I don't like the doggy. <laughs> that is not a quotation, but yeah, it's probably about right. I assume he's screaming. Uh, Thorgils comes roaring across the yard with his sword earthhouse gift and strikes the middle of the bear's head, splitting its skull. Thorfinn is saved. Oh, 
I agree that his lack of a formal education isn't his fault, but it has to be said that young Thorfinn hasn't got much of a survival instinct here. I mean, for a kid <laughs> who was born in a life-or-death situation raised by castaways on an isolated beach, he lacks basic common sense. I mean, he's a bit of a glass hammer, I grant you. <laughs> uh, but, but indirectly, thanks to him, Thorgils has saved the community from the bear. Yeah. So, uh, a bit later on, he actually collects a reward for this bear's death, and while he's doing that, he uses his newfound clout in the settlement to work out a settlement of his own for his friend Rolf, the farmer. Notice how I use... Another item off the to-do list. I use settlement twice in different ways there. Very clever. That's very clever. Well done. I appreciate that. So, (laughs) while that's all going on... The Jostinsons, Cole and Starkath, are hanging out with the servants and followers of Eric the Red. Yeah, in fact, they're in the outhouse. Mm-hmm. And some other men are there, too. It's a little group gab fest in the bathroom. Yeah, that's a lot of people in one latrine. I mean, it is, but it's apparently not outlandish. Uh, there's archaeological evidence that backs our author on this one. Uh, there's actually been a number of large outhouses found, including one... Had a capacity of 20 or more people at once. Ooh, imagine. Now, Uyer Russell described a number of outhouse finds in his work on the Norse settlements in Greenland. And multiple seat outhouses, sometimes attached to the main house, apparently weren't all that uncommon. They may even have been the default. Hmm. So you once again prove to know way too much about old toilets. I don't criticize your hobbies. <laughs> it's just it's a bit odd that we, we don't still build bathrooms this way in homes. I suppose there are fewer people in a house now than there used to be. But, I mean, still, think about how handy it would be to have a second seat or urinal in the house. I mean, a couple bidets. Well, (laughs) you aren't supposed to go to the bathroom in the bidet. No, no, it's the bidets for after. (laughs) Let's try to class the place up a little bit. That's what the bidet's for. Uh, Right. Uh, Now, I grew up in a house of five people with one toilet, and, yeah, it would have been a lifesaver sometimes to have a second one. Yeah, so somebody uh, get to work on revising American... Uh, bathroom structures, but uh, yes, we're going to get back to the story. The men are chatting in their spacious split ranch outhouse, and talk turns to the <laughs> relative merits of Eric and Thorgils, and things get a little heated. Of course they do. This is the kind of conversation that happens in the winter, when there's a fair amount of idleness, and people are casting around for something to amuse themselves. I mean, you can only spend so much time in the toilet well, before you have to make a little conversation. Well, they're just hanging out in the toilet. They're not even actively going. So, like, there's right. just imagine the smells, right. but they're well, hanging out having a chat. It's cold, Andy. It's uh, keeps the smell <laughs> Taking down. advantage of the heat. Well, <laughs> it's interesting. I-, I wonder if anyone's ever tried to establish a correspondence between the time of year and the frequency of these kind of bathroom squabbles. That's interesting. I was mainly wondering if any other sagas set these arguments in an outhouse. No. <laughs> it's uh, something else for us to work on in our spare mm-hmm. time. Anyway, this squabble turns deadly when Hall, one of Eric's servants, says, I think it's no contest. Eric is a great and famous chieftain, but this Thorgils has been living in misery, and I can't tell whether he's a man or a woman. See, is that a dig about Thorgils breastfeeding his son? Yeah, I mean, it seems like it, Definitely to me, Uh, yeah. I don't know whether these guys would even know about that. I'm sure, I mean, if you breastfed your son, as soon as you got to a settlement, you'd be like, this little boy, you see that little boy right there? Yeah, I kept him alive. Yeah, you tell everybody. I, yeah, I cut my nipple and I breastfed him um, I from mean, my this, own breast. You have to say, right, this is not a culture that would necessarily applaud a man for taking on a woman's job uh, definitely not. to save a life. 
Uh, Thorgil's men would would presumably not share that story with the servants of a man like Eric. Yeah, yeah, but little maybe little Thorfinn did mention it once back at Rolf's farm. Oh, he did. Yeah, yeah. He, he was given some milk, right? To oh, that's right. Yes. Okay. Yeah, but remember, little Thorfinn did mention it once back at uh, Rolf's farm. He was given some mm-hmm. milk to drink, and he said, "That milk doesn't look like my father's." But no one here except Thorgil's friends know about that. Now, imagine the serving right. women that handed him the milk and then they hear him say that. <laughs> huh. Besides, I mean, this, I don't know if he's a man or a woman. It's a pretty generic insult for a culture that generally ties unambiguous sex identification with public honor. Right? It's less about whether there's really an ambiguity about Thorgil's masculinity than whether an enemy can make an accusation about it with impunity. Yeah, well, that's more easily figured out. No, they can't. Cole uh, Jostensen <laughs> kills Hall on the spot. Yeah, now the spot is an outhouse. Which is gross. And my favorite yes. part of the scene is the next line. Eric told his men to stand up and seize Cole. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. What if they're reading... And the other men all leap to their feet to defend him. <laughs> See, there are a lot of angry men with their pants around their ankles and none of them have white... <laughs> It's deeply unfortunate. Oh, it's terrible. Uh, now, nothing really comes of this. Uh, a settlement is reached over the killing, but there's still bad blood between the two groups over it. Until both settlements, uh, Eric Stother and the Western Settlement, decide that it's time to do something about those outlaws that we mentioned, oh. the ones led by uh, Thorsten the Outlaw. Right, I forgot all about that, almost like the yeah. author did. So, Eric <laughs> and Thorgils make a plan to meet with their ships near where the outlaws are camped for the winter. Thorgils and his men arrive at the rendezvous, but Eric's ships are somehow missing. Nowhere to be seen. Nowhere to be seen, yes. Uh, uh, It's pretty obvious that Eric has set Thorgils up to either take care of the outlaw problem by himself or die trying. Eric and his men have decided to hang out in the outhouse for the day. (laughs) Now, Eric is not coming off as a nice man in this saga. But uh, maybe that's not surprising. I mean, we did outlaw him from his own saga. It's true. Uh, This kind of underhanded dealing is pretty standard fare for Mm -hmm. him. Uh, Thorgils decides to go ahead with the ambush, even though it looks to be an even fight. Uh, Thorsten the Outlaw has 30 men, which is the same number Thorgils brought along. Now, Thorgils does a bit of reconnaissance. uh, He disguises himself as a local man called On the Foolish. But he doesn't learn much, except that one of the outlaws has recently had a vision in which the outlaw's ships were talking to one another about a man named Thorgils... And about how they'd soon be owned by him. Mm -hmm. This is such a poorly executed scene. I know. But the important piece of information here is that the Vikings, the outlaws, uh, they don't know that Thorgil's ship is lying in wait. But without Eric's ship for backup, Thorgil's decides on a surprise attack on land instead of waiting for a sea battle. He and his men sneak up to the outlaws' winter hut and they set it on fire. And the outlaws... Uh, On fire? Yeah. So Thorgils is a burner now. Well, I mean, he's burning a house full of criminals. So, yeah, mm-hmm. but what's the big deal? I mean, I would say in a saga based in the south of Iceland, I realize we're not there now. We're barely in Iceland. In the south in the of Iceland. Uh, we have a protagonist whose family story keeps bumping into people from Njal's saga. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that burning a house full of people down is not a value-neutral act here. Even if it is effective. Well, I mean, if you want, we can discuss it in the final judgments. Uh, but f- Oh, we shall. Mm. For now, the effectiveness is what matters. Once they realize their house is on fire, the outlaws give themselves up asking for mercy. 
But Thorgils orders them put to death instead. Um, but oh, sure. he makes one exception. Thorstein the outlaw, the leader, is offered quarter if he'll swear to obey Thorgils. But he refuses, saying, I'd never be true to you. And so he's also killed, so I'm glad we spent time on that. And Thorgils <laughs> and his men, uh, they take all the wealth and ships of the outlaw band, so it worked out pretty well. well Right, no, it's worth taking time on only because it's going to shoot the body count up for this Hell saga. Hell yeah, that's uh, that's that's thirty men that just mm-hmm. died. Uh, and I have to say, the outlaw leader is coming across as kind of more admirable than Thorgils is at this point. Mm. I mean, it shouldn't be a high bar to be more noble than a Viking who's been preying on farmers, but Thorgils somehow manages to limbo right underneath it. Yeah. So the rest of the winter passes pretty quickly. Thorgils returns wealth from the outlaw's horde to the local farmers, but there's still plenty left for himself and his men. Mm-hmm. And although Eric's seething a bit about the whole thing, he can't exactly make an issue of it without admitting that he set Thorgils up, so he's forced to bite his tongue. Oh, uh, there's one more thing that happens in the spring. Uh, so much that Before happens, they sail God. out. I know, I know. It's so many incidents. Uh, before they sail out in the spring, Thorgils learns from Hrolf the farmer friend uh, that his old servants the men who killed his wife and abandoned him to die, are living in the area and doing quite well for themselves. Yes, uh, some of them have even married into good families, especially Snackle, who was the man who led the revolt. Uh huh. So Thorgils decides to just go nuts and kill them all, right? It's rampage time. Let's go. Mm, actually, no. Thorstein the White, oh. the immortal Norwegian companion, advises Thorgils <laughs> to seize the men and sell them into slavery instead. And that's what he does. That is both deeply unsatisfying and, I have to say, morally problematic. Ah, it's a bit of a problem. Is selling mm-hmm. the men into slavery better or worse than killing them? Well, you wouldn't think that would be a tough question to answer, but it kind of is. We'll grapple with that one when it comes time to weigh up Thorgil's life. Yeah. For now, having sort of kind of avenged his dead wife, Thorgils is finally free to sail away from Greenland. Mm. He and his men take to the seas and make their way to Ireland. I think uh, probably it's Iceland. They go to Iceland, right? Not Ireland. Iceland. No, Ireland. Why are they going to Ireland? Why not? (sighs) Part 12. A Tragedy at Sea. Uh, No, really. What is the point of this visit to Ireland? I know. Uh, reading this saga is like trying to navigate a magnet factory by compass. <laughs> so our crew of survivors is in Ireland for a year, and we can probably skip over some stuff that goes on. Uh, there's sure, a brief please. interlude during. <laughs> there's a brief interlude during a Yule party that winter where Cole Jostinson once again gets into an argument, uh, not in an outhouse. Uh, but this time with a farmer slave named Gipper. Mm-hmm. And Gipper makes fun of Cole for not drinking like a man, and Cole dismisses Gipper with insults, but both men get angry, and eventually Gipper hits Cole with a drinking horn. Sure. Starkoth, Cole's brother, holds his brother back, and for once, Cole doesn't kill a man in a moment of anger. I was wondering if we were going to bring that up at some point, that Cole does have this pattern of getting into arguments with people and then killing them. Uh, yeah. And he doesn't do it in a moment of anger. Instead, he waits for Yule to end, and then he and Thorgils kill Gipper in cold blood. It's not entirely fair, though. <laughs> uh, Thorgils asked Gipper's master for compensation, but Anakol, uh, the master, refused. He said, I-, I do not weigh distinctions between slaves. Oh, okay, so he's a jerk. 
Yeah, yes, definitely. <laughs> uh, that's very insulting. And now he's asked the local Earl for help dealing with Thorgils and Cole. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get to their ships and try to escape, but a hundred armed men surround them before they can set sail. Uh, looks like we can expect to have our hands full. Yeah, but as the small band of men prepare for a hopeless fight, the Earl leading the troop calls out, I do not think that when this man Thorgils returned my sister to me, that I would ever raise an army against him. It's Earl Hughie. Finally, a bit of good luck for Thorgils and company. Earl Hughie. What are the odds? Earl Hughie. Great stuff. Yeah. Who's Earl Hughie? Oh, I mean, you know who Earl Hughie is. I mean, I do now. He's Earl. I do now, Hugie. but I, I had to look him up again when I got to this part of the saga. Yeah, me too. I don't know. I, I couldn't remember. I mean, he's been to so many places and returned so many sisters and daughters. And Earl Hughie is the Irish Earl whose mother and sister Thorgils almost kidnapped last time he was in Ireland. The guy who shouted at him in Irish on the beach to return them. Oh. Remember? Yeah, apparently he's learned Norse sometime over the last decade. That's right. Yeah. Well, yeah, these were the guys that were in the they went into that like tree yep. house. This is where this is when uh, Thorgils got the sword Earthas gift. That's right, Earth House gift. Yeah. So Earl Hughie offers to make peace with Aunacol on Thorgil's behalf, mm-hmm. and once that's taken care of, Thorgil's and company spend the rest of winter with Hughie and his sister. Sure. And there's not much else to say of the trip except that they part as friends and sail for Norway in the spring. So this is the weirdest saga. Why Norway? Why now? He doesn't want to go home. Ugh. That's why. I mean, if you were stranded in Greenland forever, wouldn't you want to go on a tour? Where is home at this point? I mean, what's the point of going to Norway? Well, it's not to check on uh, Thorgil's and Thorsten's lands there, Mm -hmm. although that would make some sense. And remember in episode one when we were talking about the lands in Norway and how important they are? Eh, Not so much. Nope. And it's not to check in on Thorleif's mother, Gudrun, who is also Thorsten's wife and Thor- Thorgil's ex-wife. Yeah, I can assume, I mean, I, I, I suppose we can assume that there is a reunion at some point off stage, as it were. But that poor woman spent the last decade thinking that her husband, son, and ex all died in a wreck in Greenland. And yeah. no one bothers to tell her they're still alive. I might almost begin to suspect that this author isn't terribly interested in women's stories. Oh, that's a safe bet, yeah. But anyway, their their ship is, it's got a broken rudder, mm-hmm. uh, kind of like this saga. <laughs> and they're forced ashore at Hologaland, where they stay with a farmer named Bjorn. Mm. Now, as it happens, Bjorn has a comely daughter named Inghild. Oh, let me guess. I'm going to say there's a brutal Viking in the region who's announced his intention to marry the daughter. And he's challenged the father to a duel to win her? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, what is this? The third one of these episodes we've had? Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, there was Sirt Iron Skull in Caithness and Ronvid the Keg Dueler in Sweden. Uh, so now we have a Norwegian version of the story. <laughs> right. So the evil man is called Ronvid. Mm-hmm. And as you... No, no, wait, wait, wait. What, what? You messed, what? You messed up. You gotta go back. Uh, Ronvid was the last guy, the one in Sweden. Oh, no, no. I think you know. You're just being cute here. This guy's named Ronvid, too. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. He's plagiarizing himself. The author. <laughs> Wait, he's not literally Ronvid, too, is he? Can we just call him Ronvid, too? I mean, sure, if you want to. <laughs> We've got to call him something to keep this straight. Uh, so Thorgils predictably offers to fight Ronvid, too. 
And when the Viking refuses to back off, they duel. Ugh. We're not told much about the fight. Uh, it's not fought in an outhouse or a keg. Right. But uh, Thorgil's kills are on vid too, uh, but gets a bad leg wound in that fight. Um, and it heals badly and leaves him with a, a limp and a, his leg is a bit shorter for the rest of his life. Right. Apparently he also suffers a head wound that makes him think he's fighting the same guy over and over again. <laughs> Yeah, I can only assume that's true. Uh, so we've talked about the motif grad bag of this saga a couple of times now, but it is remarkable to see so blatantly repeated an episode like this. There are other mm-hmm. sagas that ring minor changes on a single theme. I mean, even some of the greats like Ale Saga or Greta's Saga have moments that echo each other. But it's not just the name repeating. I mean, with only minor, minor changes, we've seen the same scenario play out several times in this story with each recurrence presented as though it were happening for the first time. Uh, and none of them actually contributes to the saga as a whole. No, with the, no, that's the worst yeah. part of it is they're just plugged in episodes that are used essentially only to bring us as sort of a, a, a throat clearing as we go from one story to another. Yeah. Yeah. The, there, there are times when this saga feels like it was put together out of spare parts. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a bit of a history to the manuscripts. There, there's a longer version of the saga that only survives in fragments and a shorter saga that's considered complete, which is that's that's the one we're covering in this episode. Right. This is the complete one. Right. <laughs> uh, and there's no evidence that the shorter version is the product of serious scribal error or anything. As far as we know, this is just the way this author told his story. Yeah, pretty much. Unless it's his notes. I always go back to that. It's just... <laughs> You know, but uh, so Thorgils and company return to the sea, and this time apparently heading to Iceland. Mm-hmm. Iceland, finally. <laughs> yeah, don't get too excited just yet. <laughs> they sail within sight yeah. of the island, but a gale blows them back out to sea. Uh-huh. <sighs> they struggle. <laughs> There's a really, this is the Odyssey all over again, right? <laughs> they struggle for days against the wind, but after two weeks... Two weeks, they're still out of sight of land. Seriously, sailing is just not a good idea for this family. Yeah, everyone on board finally gives up except for Thorgils, who continues to bail out water from the ship, but waves are now crashing over the ship and threatening to overcome them entirely. And then a big wave crashes over the ship, knocking Thorgils off his seat and washing little Thorfinn overboard. And Thorgils is just stunned. Well, there's no need to bail water after a wave like that. But then another wave splashes over the gunwales, depositing Thorfinn back in the ship. Strong are the surges of the sea, my father. Start bailing everyone who can. See, that That's actually a pretty great moment. <laughs> Those really are verbatim from the saga, by the yeah. way. Uh, but, but things now take a turn for the worse. Much worse. The ship is saved from sinking. But that evening, Thorfinn begins to cough up blood. And dies in Thorgil's arms. Oh my god. After all this, after everything yeah. that's gone on over the last, whatever it is, dozen chapters. Mm-hmm. Um, after all the work Thorgil's did to keep Thorfinn alive. And again, as we said, I mean, this kid has all the survival instinct of a chocolate bunny in an inferno. <laughs> and somehow Thorgil's has managed to keep him going all this time. And now he dies just outside of Iceland. Well... And the author has kept us going. I mean, he's using this kid throughout the whole yes. know, this, this section to string us along. Quick question. Yeah. Assuming that this author is just, you know, very poor at explaining his narrative. That's a given. Are yes. we meant to think of this as Thor's 
sort of last gasp at revenge against Thorgils for abandoning him. I, I have, have associated had to assume... the sea with Thor throughout the story. And yeah. remember that, that Thor threatened to destroy his first ship on the way to Greenland. Right. Uh, so is this is this Thor having one last petty attempt at getting at Thorgils? See, I think I, I've been thinking the same thing. In in the author's mind, all of these troubles are the result of of Thorgil's conversion to Christianity. Mm-hmm. And Thor said when he le- when when Thorgil's left Iceland that he was going to mess him up, right? Right. It's been pretty messy. It has been fairly but messy. The the problem is the author completely forgot about Thor. About Thor yeah. and Christianity and all of that other stuff. Yes. So none of this really resonates or right. or fits as well as it should. But so it feels there's a like, great opportunity here that's missed. Right. I mean it feels like there's a kind of, you know, again, if we if we accept the oral formulaic idea of the sagas, it feels like there's a story that he's hearing or have it has been told uh, that has these elements in it. And he's just forgotten to maintain the narrative points that he needs yeah. to connect it all. You know? And for a, a strong Christian narrative, which is any story that builds the way that this was supposed to build, mm-hmm. there needs to be a good payoff right. for Thorgils suggesting that he made the right decision. Right. And they, but his son just got swept off his lap and thrown into the sea. Mm-hmm. Yes, returned, but apparently he was damaged enough to kill him. But of so course, what? you know, there's the. I mean, you expect some kind of consolation that he, uh, that his soul is in heaven or something at this point, and yeah, it's it's a very strange sort of failure of the narrative, even in this saga. It, it's the most disappointing thing about the whole. <laughs> I mean, the land, the failure of the land thing to work out, yeah. and, and, and be a big deal, that bo- bothered me. But this bothers me more. Yeah, yeah. No, narratively, this is really a problem. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, the, the men are at sea for two more days before reaching Iceland, and Thorgils spends that entire time just cradling Thorfinn's body. When they finally come ashore, the other men speak to Thorgils and suggest bringing the body to the nearby church. And Thorgils only replies, The boy and I have stuck together a long while. We will not be parted now. Yeah. This it really is an affecting moment. Uh, which uh, to me it comes as a total surprise in the middle of a saga <laughs> that otherwise is light on artistic death. Yeah, it really is. But I mean, everyone involved is brokenhearted, and I have this image—not that it's it's well laid out for you in mm-hmm. in the saga—but I have this image of him just cradling this child, and he will not let him go. Yeah, and it, it's to the point that the other men realize that something has to be done, or Thorgils is going to die of starvation and grief. Mm-hmm. Um, he hasn't eaten for in four days, and he clearly intends to die where he is. Um, so eventually they, they come up with a scheme. They pretend to start a fight on the docks uh, because they believe that Thorgils will intervene to mm-hmm. break up the fight. And, and indeed, that's what he does. Um, he, he gets up to, uh, to stop the fight, and Cole then is able to take the boy's body and carry it over to the churchyard. Right. Now, when he realizes he's been tricked, Thorgils nearly kills Cole. And the other men have to intervene to stop him. Yeah, and after he's forgiven them for the trick, Thorgil says that he will never blame women for loving the children they had suckled at the breast more than anyone else. Yeah, I, I mean, I know this is a touching moment, but I have to point out that this is still Thorgils we're talking about. Yes, yeah. This is the same guy who's abandoned every other kid he's mm-hmm. had. Um, so, I mean, it's a 
bit of a shock to see him suddenly overcome with parental love, but maybe from yeah. he's gotten that mother's perspective now. Right. I mean, changed, he, man. Yeah, he hadn't fed the other kids. Uh, yeah. Besides, now that he's been overcome by parental tenderness, maybe he and Thorleaf, his firstborn son, can finally bond in their grief. Maybe throw a ball around for a while while Cats in the Cradle plays slowly. And the saga narrative pans to a sunset. Mm, something like that. That would be great. Yeah, nope. Uh, Thorlif and Thorstein decide to return to Norway, taking their leave of Thorgils. <laughs> and both men are now, as we say, out of the saga. <laughs> they're like, they get on that boat and they're like, did you see him breastfeeding that kid? <laughs> Why is that Who so troubling that? to you? <laughs> Who does that? It's not to me, it's to them. I think it's wonderful. There you go. So the the baby Thorgils nursed and saved from bear attack and kept safe through years in wilderness dies in a random boating accident, but Thorstein, the red-shirted Norwegian companion, lives. He lives, John. This is indeed the case. Nothing makes sense anymore. We should just stop doing this podcast. <laughs> Part 13. A thorny problem. So, with Thorsten and Thorleif gone back to Norway, Thorgils is now alone with the Jostensons, uh, Cole and Starkoth. The three of them travel to Trotterholt, uh, Thorgils' farm in Iceland, which he left in the care of his half-brother, Haring. They spend the winter there, and everyone's impressed with how well the farm has been cared for in Thorgils' absence. Remember, he's been gone for a decade. Uh, Haring is excited to have his big bro home again, and everyone's happy. Well, not everyone. Thorgils isn't entirely pleased with the way things have been handled while he's been away. Nope. Farm's good. Household's good. Everything's thriving. Well, there's the matter of his daughter. Oh, yeah, that. You know, Uh, family man Thorgils. Oh, yeah, the big family man. Uh, So when we last saw Thorny, she was an eight-year-old girl, lying ill in bed and being left behind by her parents as they set out for what was supposed to be a great adventure in the new world of Greenland. I mean, on the one hand, you can understand her being a little resentful about being abandoned by her entire family while she was battling illness. On the one hand? I mean, you could understand that, yes. Yeah, yeah, but actually, catching that cold probably saved her life. I mean, 35 men, women, and children made it to that beach, and only four have made it home again. Mm. Her mother and the little brother she never met died during that disastrous trip. Well, be that as it may... Everyone thought nobody had survived the voyage. Mm-hmm. And years have passed. Thorny is now a grown woman of about 18. For most of her life, she's believed that her entire immediate family was dead. And she's moved on. Right. Uh, for one thing, she's married now. Mm-hmm. And when Herring and uh, Thorny arranged her marriage to Bjarni of Grof, they were just doing what seemed right to them. But now mm-hmm. Thorgils is back, and he's got a few things to say about his only daughter being married without his consent. Right, and his consent is the operative term there. Yeah. Uh, but honestly, he's not even really complaining about the marriage. When he confronts Herring, he says, Only one thing about your conduct displeases me, kinsman, that you gave my daughter Thorny such a large dowry when you married her to Bjarni. Ah, Thorgil's truly an admirable man. Yes. And as he reintegrates in Icelandic society, Thorgil's is being treated with great respect, but everyone notices that he is rather cold and a little aloof with his new son-in-law. 
Yeah, so the, the question is whether Thorgils is actually just being a cheapskate about his daughter's dowry or whether this is a way of expressing his unhappiness that she's gotten married without his involvement. I mean, if we really wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt, this could all just be a way to express his sadness at not having been a part of his daughter's life and her marriage. Oh, you are, you're being very kind here in trying to redeem Thorgils. I don't believe it. Uh, well, I no, I understand it's hypothetical, but he makes it pretty clear that he's just annoyed about the money. Yeah. Uh, at that year's local assembly at Arnus, uh, Thorgils visits Bjarni's booth, carrying his sword, Earthhouse gift, openly. Thorny and Bjarni know exactly what he's there about, and Bjarni, who's known as Bjarni the Wise, by the way, meets him in the doorway. Come in, come in. All my goods are at your disposal, so that you may be more pleased with me than before. Oh, that's, that's very well said. I will accept that. Otherwise, there's no telling what might have happened. Yeah. So, Thorgils is behaving like a petulant child. Yes. And it really is all about money. Well, I mean, the money and establishing himself as a man to be reckoned with in his son-in-law's eyes. I think pretty much, yeah. Uh, and he's being spoiled by his daughter and son-in-law. They are bending over backwards to get him to play nice. Well, they're excited to see him. You know? Well... <laughs> We are starting to get into the later years of Thorgil's life now, when people start to act like he's a cranky old man who has to be humored whenever possible. Well, he, he's in his mid-50s at this point, and his time in Greenland probably aged him just a little bit. Yeah, but it has to be said that Bjarni is showing some really extreme deference here, because Thorgils isn't happy with mere words. He actually travels to Bjarni's farm after the Arnis thing, and helps himself to 20 cows and 100 sheep. Oh, and Thorgils owes another man 40 hundreds of homespun, so he also tells Bjarni to pay the man. <laughs> wow. That is a serious abuse of Bjarni's goodwill. What, what was the original dowry again? Um, it was uh, uh, 100 hundreds of cloth. See, I mean, that's a, a substantial dowry, but mm -hmm. Thorgils is asking for 40 of that to be paid out. Plus, he's taking 120 head of livestock from Bjarni. Yeah, he's cool. taking full advantage here. Yeah. The approximate equivalencies here in terms of worth are somewhere around six to eight sheep to a cow. So we can think of this as being the equivalent of about 240 sheep or 34 cows plus 40 hundreds of cloth. Hmm. We can probably convert the livestock to about 130 ounces of silver or something like that. So better than half the compensation cost of killing a man. Yeah. And then add to that the 40 hundreds of cloth. I mean, it's a pretty penny he's asking for. Whew, it's that, that's incredible. And Bjarni is somehow willing to just put up with this? Just to keep <laughs> his cranky back from the dead father-in-law happy? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if wise is the right word to describe him. <laughs> Maybe saintly or submissive would be uh, better. Or damn fool. Uh, no, we're clearly damn supposed to read it as Arnie. saintly. Uh, but Thorny isn't pleased with her father's behavior. And a few days after the settlement is made, she shows up at Thorgil's door with her bags packed. She says, It seems more appropriate that I should follow the livestock, since you see fit to deprive my husband of his means of support. Notable witticisms, <laughs> which are few and far between in this saga. Very few you. and far between. But that is the spirit, Thorny. I like it. Yep. I like a girl with a little bit of moxie. Finally, somebody stands up to this guy. Yeah, and Thorgils is at least willing to be chastised. So he sends her back to Bjarni and sends a large payment with her for the livestock. Yeah, he's keeping the cows and sheep, though. 
Well, he's grown attached to them. He's named them all after the people who have died on his expedition. Oh, great. Maybe Plus he he's name, trying to establish himself. Yeah, I mean, he could name a few of them Ronvid and then kill them one after the other. <laughs> That's just before he needs to uh, eat them. He call, names them Ronvid. So is this how Thorgil's story ends? Sitting alone on his farm naming sheep? Oh, no, 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 no. You don't get off that easy. Thorgil's is lonely, it's true. But there's an answer for a lonely man of substantial means. I mean, you know, he's got a hundred sheep and twenty cows. He can ask <laughs> his son-in-law to set him up on a blind date. Well, who better? Uh, he's really <laughs> testing Bjarni's patience with all this. Can you imagine Thorgil showing up in Bjarni's face as he sees him riding over the horizon? Like, oh. What does he want now? Now, Bjarni's got this all figured out. He's got this second cousin, see? And she's single. Bjarni's second cousin, huh? Yeah. So Thorgils will be marrying his daughter's cousin-in-law. Second cousin-in-law. Second. Uh, what's to object to there? Well, I mean, for one thing, has anyone checked with the cousin about this? No, no, no. Uh, her name is Helga, by the way. No, they haven't. Oh. Uh, she's a she's a good-looking woman and the daughter of a Gothi, uh, Thorod Evinderson from Ulfus. So this would be a step up socially for Thorgils, but probably a step down for Helga. Yeah. And she's she's uh, she's already received attention from another man of great reputation and gray hairs, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Osgrim Alita Grimson, the old friend of Njal Thorgerson. Uh-huh. Now, uh, you're kind of skipped over the answer there. Uh, mm-hmm. No, she hasn't been asked about the marriage. And she's significantly younger than both of these men. Yes. Now, they do eventually ask her kind of just to find out what she thinks. And she is not impressed with Thorgils, who she thinks is too old and too proud. She's right. Well, and we should say there's no sign that she's all that excited about marrying Asgrim either. Yeah. The indication seems to be that Helga isn't really into older guys for some reason. I mean, that's fair. Uh, Now, since Thorgils doesn't have any intention of asking her himself, that's not his first concern. He broaches the topic with her father, Thorod, and Thorod's son, Skofti, also known as Skofti the Law Speaker. Hey! My thingman. As Skofti the Law Speaker, yeah? We have not seen him in a while. Yeah, this this saga has limited connections to sagas outside of the South, so we're not getting our usual thingman cameos. Right. But this is a good one, because Skofti's going to be an important figure from this point on. Yeah. Although, weirdly, the saga never explicitly states that this Skofti is Skofti the Law Speaker. Almost as if the author didn't really realize. Well, <laughs> that's always possible. It takes a bit of homework to work this out, but it's definitely him. Yeah, and this author's not big on homework. So, mm-hmm. so uh, if I've got this straight, Thorod prefers Thorgils as a suitor. But Skopti is firmly in the camp of Oscar and Melita Grimson, right? Yeah, uh, and a year goes by without any resolution to these suits. Uh, meanwhile, Thorgils knows that Skofti is opposing him, and so he goes on a trip to intercept Skofti one day on the road. Assassinating a kinsman of the woman you're trying to woo. It's not going to go over well. <laughs> Let's not assume too much. He might just be going to have a chat. Oh, he's so Maybe romantic. try to make Skofti see reason. The saga never explicitly says that he's planning on violence. Well, he brings half a dozen men with him, including Colin Starkoth Jostensen. Mm-hmm. And Cole has been killing people all over Northern Europe ever since he and Thorgil <laughs> started spending time together. So yeah. should we really believe this is just a social call? Well, we'll never know because Skofti sees this group of men waiting for him and turns around to ride home. 
His father Thorod mocks him, saying, It would be better to give Helga to Thorgils and be able to travel freely around the district, rather than be afraid for your safety everywhere. See, I, I read that and I thought, I don't know if that's cowardice or just prudence. Yeah. Or both. And Thorgils and Cole are both killers, and they've got four more men backing them up. Mm-hmm. And Skopti's got what, like a, a loud speaking voice that he bounces <laughs> off the rocks? Uh, I'm not sure that's going to help him here. Yeah, it's nice of you to let him off the hook, but and that's even if his father isn't willing to. Uh, but ultimately, it doesn't matter. Uh, although he waits until the following year's thing to make a decision, Thorod has essentially decided at this point to give Helga in marriage to Thorgils. Yeah, but as far as I can tell, there still hasn't been any real attempt to convince Helga that this is a good decision or that she even is supporting it. Uh, She's just told to marry Thorgils. Which, I mean, yeah, this is a problem. And Mm -hmm. for the first time in this saga, the author actually uses the question of consent as a plot point. What? I know, uh, because shortly after the wedding, the first time Thorgils leaves her alone at their farm, Helga rides back to her father's house and stays there. (laughs) Kind of like uh, John Milton's wife, right? I suppose. So uh, as a way of escaping your husband, this isn't bad, but it's hardly an official declaration of divorce. And there aren't a ton of legal difficulties to getting divorced, but there are a few. And well, Like saying that you actually want to divorce your spouse. Yeah, you got to give a reason for the divorce to take place and you have to announce it publicly. She's done neither. Her position seems to be that since she wasn't asked about the marriage, she has no obligation to it, which... Is pretty much the attitude of the church. No consent equals no marriage. Right. If you didn't say it, you didn't do it. <laughs> uh, but it's not that simple in practice. Right? Thorob and Thorgils are both treating this like a pre-Christian brokered marriage, with a representative of the groom and the father of the bride deciding what should be done. Helga is in, is in the right from a Christian or even from a moral perspective, but she's up against a long tradition and a culture that would generally prefer daughters to do what they're told. Okay, so she stays at her dad's farm, mm-hmm. and her brother Skopti is very unhappy about all this. Nope, nope. Oh, he's, Since very, he, he's very happy about it. Oh, is very, yeah, sorry about that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so she stays at her dad's farm, and her brother Skopti is very happy about this, since he didn't approve the marriage in the first place. Right, now she's there for a while, because it's not clear at first what's going on. Right? Is she just visiting her family or running away from her marriage? Um, once it becomes obvious that Helga isn't planning on returning, Thorgils takes matters into his own hands. He buckles on his weapons and rides to Thorod's farm, arriving during dinner. He walks into the farmhouse, past all the tables of men eating, takes Helga by the hand, and silently leads her back out of the house. Oh, poor Helga. Mm. And this is when the saga makes clear that Thorod is a man of the old ways. Yes. He refuses to let Skopti chase after Thorgils, saying, Thorgils was only claiming his own, and it would not be right for anyone to go after him. So, for Thorod, Thorgils is now Helga's household lord. Yes. And it's his right to claim her even out of his house. Actually, this attitude probably helps explain some of Thorgils' nastiness over Thorny's marriage as well. He never consented to the match, but Mm -hmm. because it happened, he's in an awkward position when it comes to trying to take her back. Again, the obvious choice from a modern perspective, or even a medieval Christian perspective, would be to ask the bride. Right. So instead, we have Thorgils, who brings Helga back home, trying a little down-home couples therapy by watching a chicken fight with Helga. 
Oh, sure, yes. Yeah. See, Thorgils has a hen and a rooster that don't get along. The hen keeps squawking at the rooster, and the rooster keeps thrashing at the hen. Both end up exhausted. And Thorgils, mustering all of his expertise on human nature, says, Helga, did, did you see that fight between the rooster and the hen? What of it? Well, perhaps others have been fighting the same way. Ooh. And then her her eyebrows <laughs> raise up. She winks over there. What a smooth talker he is. <laughs> what a master of human relationships. Did he just call his wife a scolding hen, by the way? Well, I mean, yes, he did. Um, uh, but but it, you know, the rooster was the abusing fr- her, so that's I kind mean, of the point. In fairness, it is the first time he suggested that he might not be perfect either. Or even that the marriage might not be perfect. And after this, there's a gradual thawing in their relationship. So apparently Thorgils does know a little something about marriage. I mean, it's his third one. He might as well get one right. Uh, eat your heart out, Dr. Phil. Now, did you, did you see those, that rooster and the hound? Is this... Because I think that's very much like your relationship. Is that... I actually know so little about Dr. Phil that I can't even tell you if that's an accurate. I don't know. Our listeners will judge if that was okay. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I just I, know I'm, he's a guy who does gives out marriage advice. I, it's, yeah, I don't know either. Uh, don't try. <laughs> I don't know what I say. Don't say. So the, the saga author clearly thinks this is the turning point for them mm-hmm. because he follows it up by announcing that the couple have a son named Grim the Rowdy shortly oh. after this point. Mm-hmm. Clearly, he's very well loved. Mm-hmm. They'll eventually have three kids, Grim the Rowdy, Ilugi, and Thord. Which puts Thorgils at six total. Thorleif, Thorny, Thorfinn, Grim, Ilugi, and Thord. Yes. So are we just going to keep repeating them? There's a quiz (laughs) at the end or something? No, no. It's strange because back in Greenland, Thorgils had that dream vision that he would have five children. Ah, well, so so one of the kids isn't being counted. Uh, uh-huh. We can assume it's probably Thorleaf who's not on the list because the dream was specifically about his children in Iceland. So, Right. That makes sense. And Thorleaf does return to Norway and, as far as we know, never comes back to Iceland. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, with his marriage to Helga smoothed out, Thorgils turns his attention to his reputation in Iceland. And soon he's climbing the social ladder and even taking up new responsibilities as a chieftain. All right. Yay. So are we done? Can we leave Thorgils with his sheep and his kids and his Goldorth? Yeah, almost. Oh, God. Part 14. Keeping busy in retirement. Yeah, this, this saga just never ends, does it? We're almost there. Really, we've just got some loose ends to tie up. Loose ends? Like What? Well, for starters, Thorgils has new responsibilities as a chieftain. One of his followers, a farmer named Siam, has a problem. Oh, no. No. What? There's going to be a daughter, isn't there? No, no. You'll be happy to hear that he has no daughter. Oh, thank God. Okay, what's the problem? We're safe. Well, Siam's got this attractive wife, you see. (laughs) I hate you sometimes. Hey, don't shoot the messenger. And by you, I mean uh, the author of this saga. <laughs> so it seems there's a nasty warrior named no, Yelfi in the area. And he's been seducing Siam's wife. <sighs> and now they're due to fight a duel over her. Another one of these? Come on. <laughs> Let me 
tell you what happens. Uh, okay, go ahead. Bjolfi challenges Salm, but Thorgil steps in and offers to fight on Salm's behalf. So far, so good. Then Thorgil's and Bjolfi fight, and Bjolfi's killed. Everyone's happy. Well, I mean, not Bjolfi, but <laughs> yeah, uh, everyone else is pretty content. Great. Afterward, uh, the farmer probably thanks Thorgil's, offers him... Uh, hold, hang on. Thorgil's is already remarried, so... Yes. Uh, this one's about a wife, not a daughter, so he can't marry her. Right. I think you're seriously underestimating Thorgil's commitment to the swinging lifestyle, but on this specific <laughs> occasion, you're correct. He spent all that time in Greenland. He's ready to play. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, he offers him what? Some sort of reward or friendship or well, weapon? Actually, well, no, this is the one thing. Things are changing in Thorgil's late life. As we said, he's a chieftain now. This sort of thing is what you might call the the responsive governance of a good chieftain. Oh, uh-huh. well. I mean, of course, he's not as young as he once was. And this sort of thing, you know, this dueling with every Tom, Dick, and Ronvid who comes along <laughs> coveting his neighbor's daughter. It's it's a young man's game. Well, I mean, Thorgil seems to be staying fairly active in his old age. Uh, he's settling into becoming an elder statesman, fighting the occasional duel, conducting petty feuds with famous chieftains, that sort of thing. Well, I mean, he's never been the sort to dandle a grandchild on his knee. So I well, guess he has to do something with his time. And uh, what was that? What was that last item, by the way? Uh, what the the petty feuds, right? Yeah, that petty feuds with famous chieftains. Well, it's part of the aftermath of his marriage to Helga. Remember, we uh-huh. uh, we said that there was another would be husband for Helga. Yes, Osgrim Alida Grimson. Yeah, yeah, uh, and remember the dream, the dream sequence. Uh-huh. Uh, well, they're both older men at this point, uh, but they're engaging in some fairly immature behavior toward one another. <laughs> Asgrim, for one thing, is refusing to pay docking fees to Thorgil's harbor master. Thorgils, in retaliation for this, sneaks up one day while Asgrim is helping launch a ship, and he cuts the rope Asgrim is hauling on. Uh, so Asgrim then falls backward into a muddy tidal pool. Very nasty. So, shenanigans. Shenanigans is what they're up to. Yeah, pretty much. Two old coots taking cheap shots at one another, but uh, this <laughs> it's is... It's grumpy old men in Iceland. Yeah. But this being Iceland, things are going to escalate fairly quickly. Asgrim insists on Thorgil being excluded from the guest list for a party at Bjarni of Grof's farm. But Thorgils, as Bjarni's father-in-law, shows up anyway, uninvited, and Bjarni has mm-hmm. to uh, let him in and stay for the party. Yeah, they're still just being petty to each other. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Bjarni's caught between two crotchety old men behaving like children. Ah, pure Bjarni. I mean, the worst day of Bjarni's life is the day that that ship sailed into port. Right. <laughs> and her he thought he had everything off. all worked out. Oh, man. Yeah. Except, he had a uh, wife and a hundred hundreds of cloth. Yeah. So before the party's over, Asgrim pays off Thorgil's servant, Cole, to assassinate Thorgil's. Hmm. Ah, so petty behavior with a hint of murder. Right, right. But Thorgil's... Wait, no, hang on. We, we already did this story, too. Thorgils was nearly assassinated by his foreman, Svart, 20 years ago. And Svart was paid off by Osgrim Alida Grimson, remember? No, I don't. Thorgils kept the pouch of money Svart had been paid, but he couldn't get anyone to admit that the money had come from Osgrim. Nobody would admit to recognizing the pouch. That was so long ago. But for that mm-hmm. matter, <laughs> Thorarin was another of Thorgils' foremen, and he helped to kill Thorgils' wife and abandon Thorgils in Greenland. So it's all coming yeah. together. Yeah, he does seem to have trouble inspiring loyalty in those around him. Mm. Well, this ends the same way as the other attempts. Thorgils figures out what's happening, attacks Cole, gets a confession out of him, even finds the pouch of money, but then kills Cole, 
Mm. leaving himself with no useful evidence. That is a bad habit he's got there. Uh, mm. We should be clear, by the way, this is not Cole Yostinson, right? This is Cole, a servant of Thorgil's. Uh, so our author also has a bad habit. Uh, he's once again plagiarizing his own self. What was Jonas Christensen's line about the saga, Andy? Uh, These scenes deserved a better narrator. The man's <laughs> a genius. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, here's something new. Uh-huh. Thorgils decides that the pouch is sufficient evidence, and he gets 40 men together to summons Asgrim for attempting to kill him. Uh-huh. But he's stopped in his tracks by advice from his brothers-in-law. Oh, wait, did we explain this whole thing? I don't think we did. Um, Skofty Law Speaker is Helga's brother, so he's now Thorgils' brother-in-law. Yeah, we did say that. Well, yes, but Helga and Skofty have a sister named Thordis. And she's married to a man named Gizur the White. Gizur the White? Mm-hmm. People with long memories might recall Gizur as an important figure from Njal Saga. He was one of the big names opposing Njal Thorgerson and Asgrim. We also talked about Gizur as an important guy during the conversion of Iceland in 1000. He's the guy who realizes early on that the position of Bishop of Iceland is going to be a powerful bully pulpit. And he finds a young woman to be his third wife and provide him with a son, Islif Gizurason, who would grow up to become the first official bishop of the island in 1056. So he's married to Helga's sister. And I'm beginning to see why Helga thought marrying Thorgils was a little bit beneath her. Mm -hmm. This is a family that moves in powerful circles. Yep. Uh, Of course, I mean, using that connection, he's a chieftain now. But I would say he's still the low man in the pecking order among the three men. Yule parties are not going to revolve around what Thorgils thinks about things. No. Uh, now, and Gizur tells him in no uncertain terms that riding to Asgrim's farm to confront him is a mistake. Thorgils has to content himself with issuing the summons by proxy. He summons nine neighbors instead of Asgrim himself. Yeah, that's that's not how a summons works. Why? Yeah, yeah no, everybody seems to know that except Thorgils. In fairness, this man has spent most of his life away from Iceland. Yeah. Uh, He clearly doesn't know the law that well. And when he gets to the thing that summer, his other brother-in-law, Skofty the Law Speaker, has to break the news to him. So, Thorgils, how have you prepared your case against Asgrim? Ah, well, I was going to go to his house, but Gizor convinced me it was a bad idea. So I had to get creative. I'm quite proud of this one. I summoned nine neighbors instead. Oh? Um, Pretty clever, huh? Well, as they say, he took no care and licked the ladle. <laughs> drop, drop this lawsuit, my kinsman. It is worthless. What? How can that be? Nine neighbors, I said. Nine! I know the laws, brother-in-law. Well enough to know that the suit is worthless as it stands. It's best to let it go. That way you'll suffer no dishonor. I mean, when Scoffy Law Speaker offers free legal advice, you take that advice. Yeah. And uh, sure enough, Thorgils is eventually made to see that he doesn't have a chance in this lawsuit, and he has to let it go. So Osgrim gets away with the attempted killing again, but Thorgils sort of wins by not getting killed. See, in my book, that's the best kind of winning. What, the kind where you don't die? Yeah. So that's the end of the episode, right? Things just sort of die down and we can... Yep. 
yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's really oh, that's the great. end of Thorgil's story. Uh, we, do, we do get one more episode in the saga, uh, but it's more of a strange sort of coda than anything else. Damn you, John. Let's not talk about it. <laughs> Years later, Thorgils, who's over 70 at this point, is riding his horse and hunched over against the cold. A Norwegian ship's captain named Helgi rides past him and jostles him and then laughs at him. It hardly shows now, Thorgils, that you were once called a champion. You've indeed grown old. How does he know it's Thorgils? He's a slumped over old man. Men around here aren't in the habit of mocking me. Old and contemptible as I am, (laughs) I challenge you to single combat right here and now. Let's see who wins out. All right. There won't be much glory in beating up an old fart like you, but I'm not one for backing down. <laughs> I cannot believe this author managed to sneak one last duel into this story. <laughs> yeah, it's not much of a duel, really. And, and, and not for the reasons you'd think. Helgi the Norwegian isn't really armed for a fight. He's just got a wood axe on him. Thorgil's unsheaths Earthhouse gift, presumably in a shaking and palsied hand, Hell yeah. uh, makes a furious attack and cleaves Helgi between shoulder and neck, killing him. So this saga did manage to kill off a random Norwegian after all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, although I'll always think of Thorstein the White as the companion who got away. <laughs> uh, now as for Thorgils, he feels terrible about killing a man for such a petty reason and calls it the worst thing he's ever done. Really? What? I mean, this is the worst thing he's ever done? <laughs> this is the same guy who once murdered his stepfather's pet horse, has abandoned uh-huh. like half of his children, <laughs> gave away his first wife as a prize to his best friend, uh-huh. slept on top of a corpse for an entire winter to keep it from rising. And this, <laughs> this is the worst thing he's ever done? Yep, this is it. Look, if you're looking for a 72-year-old to suddenly develop a mature conscience after a lifetime of bad behavior, I think you're barking up the wrong dog. Well, bad behavior is a bit strong. I mean, he's trying to survive, John. <laughs> but So that's it. We're, we're done now, right? We can bury this thing? Well, we can bury this Norwegian, but otherwise, no. Oh, like a draugr, it keeps rising. <laughs> <sighs> uh, well, it's kind of over, but there is a coda to the coda. What's that? A, what's that? A codling? A codling? <laughs> it's a codetta or a, a demicoda. A demicoda. <laughs> uh, well, whatever, whatever it is, yeah. it happens two years later when Helgi's brothers, Einar and Sigurd, show up in Iceland looking for their brother's killer. More Norwegians for the body count. All right. Mm, no, no. Uh, once they realize that uh, Helgi was killed by a septuagenarian farmer, they hesitate. Oh. Our brother was riding around picking on the elderly. Oh, dear. <laughs> well, Thorgils greets them and invites them to either attack him at once or decide what they want to do. And eventually, and they do have to discuss it, but eventually they decide it's not great to kill an old man. <laughs> and they suggest the possibility of a settlement. Really? Because I can respect that decision. But they did sail all the way from Norway to get revenge on the guy who killed their brother. He just happens to be in his 70s. Right. I said they did have to think about it. (laughs) And Thorgils, who apparently really does feel bad about Helgi, offers full compensation for his death. Uh, And I was racking my brain on this one. I think this is the first time in his life he's ever paid compensation for a killing. Yeah, but he's always been in weird circumstances. Right. Uh, But it's the first time he's actually ever had to pay for one of these. Yeah. Uh, And in what's clearly meant as a conclusion to the story, Thorgils adds... 
And I want you, Einar, to have my sword Earthhouse gift, because you look to me like you will wield it well. And they part in friendship. Mm. Well, friendship eh, might be a bit strong. No one kills anyone, but that's as far as it goes. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, for Thorgils, that is probably the closest thing he ever gets to friendship. Yeah, I guess so. And that, that, Andy, is the end of this saga. Thank you. Thorgils lives to the well-seasoned age of 85, dying after a brief illness in his own bed. This is really the end, right? I mean, you're not going <laughs> to pull out another few chapters or another codex or coda. <laughs> you're not going to pull out another uh, demi-coda or demi-demi-coda. Right. few chapters of redundant adventures, duels with another man named Ronvid. Nope, that's it. I mean, of course, you have to remember this is the short text of the saga. We can always spend a couple of hours looking at the fragments of the long version. No, no, no I think that's fine. <laughs> I think we're good. Um, but we are still not done with this saga. We've we've mm-hmm. still got to judge the things. So we're going to have to revisit all oh, of this nonsense. Goody. Yeah. But before we get to that, we have a couple of other things coming up that we, we thought we should mention briefly. Such as? Well, such as our next special episode. Uh, we're going to take a little bit of a break from this nonsense saga. Um, as longtime listeners know, we like to do something special to celebrate each new season of the television series Vikings. Although, lately you've been a bigger fan of the Norseman series. True. I mean, if, if anyone who listens to Saga Thing isn't watching Norseman, my favorite comedy show in the whole world, <laughs> you should really stop doing whatever it is you do with your free time and start watching Norseman instead. But uh, the Vikings show has been a great way for us to talk about some saga-related things. And it's given us the excuse to return to the stories of the Viking Ragnar Lothbrok and his sons time and time again. Now, the last Vikings-related episode was, what, about eight months ago? Uh, in time for the first half of Season 5, we posted an episode on the Lesser Ragnarsons, featuring, featuring such luminaries as Ronvald Ragnarsson. Who's that? Sigurd, yeah, exactly. Um, Sigurd Snake in the Eye. Heard of him? Fridleaf. Nope. Eric Windhat. Lost me. And Oilef uh, Ragnar's daughter. I don't even think we covered that person. <laughs> Who is that? <laughs> but if you want to know, go listen. Exactly. So the original plan was to follow that up with an episode on the Ragnarsons who are most prominently featured on the show. Ivar the Boneless, Ube the Wise, Bjorn Ironsides, and Feetzerk, a.k.a. Halfdan the Black. But we got to researching and we quickly realized that there was a standout in the group. So our next episode will be a special focus on just one Ragnarsson. Following the Viking series, we're going to be focusing on the terrifying Ivar the Boneless. So at some point there's going to be yet another episode dealing with the others? Yeah, yeah, looks like it. Probably six Uh years from now. (laughs) No, we, we already know the show's been picked up for a sixth season, so we'll certainly have time for at least one more episode on Clan Ragnar. Great. Uh, so that episode should be going up shortly after this one, and then we'll be back with judgments for this saga in just a couple of weeks. Which means you've got a bit of time to let us know what you thought of this episode and this saga. Um, what are your choices for best nickname or bloodshed or thingman? Yeah, I'm really curious about where you folks stand on Thorgils as a person. Uh, Oh, we also wanted to mention, we're planning on tackling another big saga starting probably in January. Yes, yes. We've had time to recover from Njal Saga, the the big marathon that happened last spring and summer. (laughs) It's time to tackle another of the giants of the saga genre. Right. And like last time, 
we've decided to irresponsibly avoid making a decision for ourselves, and instead ask you, yes you, to choose the saga we'll be covering. So after having consulted the oracles, the runes, the wise woman who lives in a cave outside of town, and a passing one-eyed dog, we've come up with a short list of sagas to choose from. Uh, do we announce them now or make people wait until we get the poll up on the site? No, no, I think we say what the choices are, and as I okay. post this right. episode, I will post the poll. So be it. So we'll be choosing from a short list of three options. They are Luxdala Saga, Ail Saga Skallagrimsoner, or Fostbrodra Saga. That is quite a list, and I think I know who I'm voting for. No prejudicing the audience. All right. Well, do you know who you're voting for? No prejudicing the audience. I'm not asking you to announce it. I'm just wondering. If yes, you're... I know who I'm voting for. So Frost Brother Saga. All right. I'm not saying. So uh, I want everyone to keep an eye out for that survey. Uh, there should be, uh, you know, I'll probably post a link with this episode in the notes. Um, but uh, that does it for us. The ball's in your court now. What would you like us to know? What did we get wrong? What did we get right, if anything? You can leave us a message on our Facebook page where we are Saga Thing Podcast or on Twitter at Saga Thing Pod. Or you can email us at sagathingpodcast.gmail.com. You can also fight a series of duels with men named Ronvid across Scandinavia and use their corpses to spell out a message to us. It might take a while, but we think it's worth the effort. It's artisanal. And if you're inclined to review us on iTunes or whatever review service you frequent, we very much appreciate it. Uh, please tell your friends about us. And that is going to do it for us. We'll be back in a week or so with new episodes. And until then, thanks for listening. Bye for now. milk doesn't look like my father's mm. that sounded weird <laughs> he turned into a little robot or something. <laughs> <laughs> <Zrap>. <laughs> Reep, boop, bleep, plop. that milk does not compute milk does not taste like daddy's <laughs>